are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thank you, Matt. All right, Palm Sunday. I did not have a tie-on to start this day. And I said to my wife, I don't need to wear a tie today, do I? She says, no, it looks okay. But that is an outfit that could benefit from a tie. (laughs) You know the rest of the story. (laughs) Palm Sunday is such an interesting Sunday. It is joyful and festive and celebratory, and yet we know it's coming. That five days from now... Jesus will be crucified, he'll be nailed to a cross to die. And I find Palm Sunday is just a weird day to know exactly what to feel. A number of years ago, my birthday coincided with my grandfather's burial. It was at Fort Snelling. You know, they picked the day and the time. He had died earlier in the month, and so it was my birthday. And it was so strange that morning, the burial was in the morning, so you're seeing family and relatives, and but you're not going to say happy birthday on a day like that. It was just this really strange mix. And so here we are on Palm Sunday, maybe not knowing exactly what to feel about this day. And of course, the world presses on around us. You know, it is hard to slow this week down. The weather is great all of a sudden, and there's projects to do outside. The Masters is on TV work and school, maybe Sunday's your meal prep days, you get ready for the week, ball games, practice. And so I want to invite you here at the beginning of Holy Week to really be intentional about slowing down the days, starting today with Palm Sunday. And just asking, what is this day really about? What happened that first Palm Sunday that we just read about? What do we learn about Jesus? And secondly, What do we learn about what it looks like to follow him? The Gospel of Matthew is going to help us with those questions. We're going to examine the key points of this passage. And in turn, we're going to discover some things about Jesus, which is why Matthew is recording this Gospel. And secondarily, we're going to learn some things about ourselves and how this event speaks to us now, 2,000 years later, about what it means to follow him. So let's look at this map first. It's titled, Route of the Triumphal Entry. Triumphal Entry is just another way of saying Palm Sunday and this story. And this map is a place where our Holy Land travelers, a group of 33 of us, 
spent time not long ago at all. Maybe just getting over your jet lag finally. I think it's so fun this year that we had the chance to have so many of us in this place. I like this map because it gives us a good bird's eye view. And I like to pair it with what we read in the opening verses. Matthew 21 says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. So you see the old city there on the left that's outlined, and then the red box is the temple complex, is what they call it. And that east side of the city is very important, which you might remember from our study in Ezekiel to start the year. From the temple, then, it goes down into that valley, the Kidron Valley, and then up the other side to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was a three-mile-long ridge that towers along that eastern side of the city. More precisely, the Mount of Olives was the middle of the three peaks that formed that ridge. Creatively, it got its name from being heavily covered with olive trees. Historically, that was a key spot because it's where you could station a lookout to guard the city and be able to signal back to your army that was stationed on the walls. And the road that led out of the east side of the city went about 15 miles to Jericho, a very important road. And in fact, Jericho is where Jesus and his followers had last been reported to be. As chapter 20 closes in Matthew, that's the story where Jesus and his disciples are leaving Jericho, and it's the healing of the blind men. So, as they approach Jerusalem from the east, they would have first come to Bethany. And Bethany is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived And so Jesus was very familiar with this spot. Those three siblings were good friends of his. And you could read in John 12 about Jesus arriving there in Bethany before we get to this Palm Sunday story. So we pick it up in Matthew. It's the next day. And Jesus heads out from Bethany and then he's approaching the village of Bethphage, nestled really right up there in the Mount of Olives. Now here's where I want to show you this group picture from the trip. A little blurry, but you can make out some familiar faces. And this picture is our group of pilgrims standing less than two weeks ago on the Mount of Olives. That's where they're taking this picture. Behind them, of course, is then Jerusalem. And this is the vantage point, really, from the Mount of Olives looking over to Jerusalem. And it is basically point A to point B. This is where Jesus started riding the donkey from Bethphage. And on into town, about a mile out. The gold-colored dome that you see there that you might recognize, a very um, visible landmark from the old city, that's the Dome of the Rock, the Islamic shrine that was built where the Jewish temple had been. And of course, that was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. All of a sudden, I just got very nervous because I realized Mr. Sagan, the history teacher, is right in front of me. (laughs) Carl could take over. But between our group and the city of Jerusalem is this deep valley. That's the Kidron Valley. So they would have gone down the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane is toward the base of it, into the depths of the valley, and then up to the city walls. Now the red circle I added to the picture is the eastern gate into the city called the Golden Gate. And you have to peer pretty closely, but you might be able to make out that it is actually sealed shut. Now, this gate is not the original that Jesus would have ridden through because, like I said, everything was destroyed by the Romans. 
But here is now the eastern gate that has been sealed shut for the past 500 years. And I don't want to get too far afield, but it does make for some interesting thinking. And there are a number of folks and scholars who wonder if this is not in fulfillment of Ezekiel 44, that book that we just studied. Ezekiel 44 says that the eastern gate will be shut and remain shut. And it says, no one may enter through it except the Lord, because the Lord has entered through it. So I just pose the question, what do you think? It's possible that it's the fulfillment of Ezekiel 44. And then there's this to add, according to Zechariah 14, when Jesus returns one day in glory, Zechariah 14 says he will arrive at the Mount of Olives, And biblically, there's plenty of reason to believe that he is going to enter through that eastern gate no matter how sealed shut it might be right now. So that's just a bit of a rabbit trail and you can do some reading on your own. But going back to the Palm Sunday and and the relevance here, Jesus has this assignment for two of his disciples as they approach Bethphage. And I'll summarize it. He says to two of his disciples, I want you to go up ahead into the village, into Bethphage, and you're going to find a donkey that's tethered there with her young colt. And I want you to untie them and bring them to me. And if anybody, he says, asks you, hey, what are you doing with my animals? Then just tell them the Lord needs them, and that'll be all you need to do. So it's an interesting bit of instruction. And it could imply that God will supernaturally cause the owner to lend out these valuable animals to total strangers. That's definitely possible. Or it could be that Jesus knew this guy in Bethphage, and this guy knew Jesus. He'd spent a lot of time in this area, and so that's definitely possible. What goes without question, though, is that Jesus is making a very deliberate choice about riding a donkey this last mile into town. And it's not because he's tuckered out. He and his disciples have walked over a hundred miles. You know, think of the steps, right? We try to hit 10,000 in a day, it'd be pretty good. They walked over a hundred miles from Caesarea Philippi. Certainly this last mile was not going to be a problem. So it's a very deliberate choice. And here's why he selects the donkey. It's the first thing I want to highlight for us. We're just going to name four of these as we look at the text. And the first is this. Jesus is the promised Messiah King. First observation, Jesus is the promised Messiah King. You could, in fact, call that the whole point of the passage. And Matthew shows it by quoting from the Old Testament. Remember that Matthew, of the four Gospels, he is the one writing to a specifically Jewish audience. And so he cites from the Old Testament more than anybody else, and here he's showing that the Messiah King has been foretold And here he is in Jesus, starting in verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The quote is mostly Zechariah 9.9. It does have a little Isaiah 62.11 thrown in. But the point is this. God had said long ago that the Messiah would enter Riding a donkey, and that's exactly what Jesus does. Now, why a donkey? You know, if you have grown up around this story, around church, you start to just take these details and almost expect them. But why a donkey? 
As the great Shrek once said, that'll do, donkey, that'll do. I don't know if that was a good Scottish accent, but... No, why a donkey? Donkey is an odd animal for royalty to ride. And indeed, donkeys were commonplace. It was the most common animal for transportation, for farming. So why would a king, a messiah, ride a donkey? Well, as ordinary as they might seem, there is this long history of kings riding donkeys specifically back into their home cities after victory. We see this in other Old Testament passages. The war horse was for battle. The donkey signaled peace. The donkey means, hey, fighting's done. Let peace reign. And so this is a very deliberate choice on Jesus' part. It's why he gives this instruction to his disciples. And then look what happens in the story. Our second gleaning from the text, number two. The disciples did as Jesus said. Very simple. The disciples did as Jesus said. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. I highlighted that in my Bible, reading it this week. For all the times the disciples struggle to listen and to get it right, this time, they nail it. Here, they've got it. And they just follow his instructions. They run up ahead to the village. They secure the donkey and her colt. They bring them back to Jesus. And then the disciples take off their cloaks, like their outer robes. We call it their jackets. And they put it over the backs of this donkey and colt as makeshift saddles. Which is both a practical purpose, because it's more comfortable to have a good saddle, and a decorative purpose. On the practical side, Jesus is going to ride one of these animals, and that's the colt. Mark's gospel is the one that specifies that it is a colt that had never been ridden. Which is why the mother donkey is along. You know, he's not riding both of them. It's just the one. And the mother donkey is there to keep her colt, who has never been ridden, calm. Especially with this boisterous parade that is going to go on. And we see that in verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So now verse 8, the party's really getting started. The crowd is responding to all the visible cues that Jesus is entering Jerusalem as the Messiah, that he's come as king. And so they start setting their cloaks down in front of him, creating, in a sense, a makeshift red carpet. That's what they're doing. And we see there's precedent for this in the Old Testament, and 2 Kings 9 would be one example, talking about King Jehu. Let me just read that verse. 2 Kings 9.13 They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew their trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. Have you ever heard of Jehu before? He's this obscure Old Testament character. I do want to pause and tell you a funny Jehu story. At least I think it's funny. We'll see what you think. I had an Old Testament professor who liked very fast cars. Anybody else like very fast cars? No Marsh Boys? So very fast cars. I don't think seminary professors typically make a lot of money, but he had saved his pennies over many years, and he finally got to buy a BMW. And on the back of his BMW, he had a personalized license plate. This is in California. And it said, Jehu, the name of this king. J-E-H-U. 
Now, why would he put that on there? Because of 2 Kings 9.20, a little bit later in that chapter. There's a lookout who can see that there's this chariot coming in the distance. And he says in that verse, The driving is like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives like a maniac. (laughs) Old Testament professor humor right there. I thought it was pretty good. So on Palm Sunday, the people are putting their cloaks out on the pathway. And they're taking branches from the trees and laying down those as well. John's gospel is the one that tells us that they're this kind, that they're palm branches. And this too, as they're taking down palm branches specifically, is a highly charged gesture. As Katie shared with the kids, the palm branch was a symbol of victory and really Jewish nationalism. That's what it was. I mean, like we think of the bald eagle or stars and stripes. That's what the palm branch was to them. So you've got Jesus on a donkey, cloaks on the road, palm branches coming down, and then you add this observation, number three, the people proclaimed Hosanna. The people proclaimed Hosanna. And you can pronounce this one either way. Hosanna, Hosanna, tomato, tomato. It's the same thing. And it's fascinating that we have this foreign language word So prominent on Palm Sunday, and I want to impress it upon you today. The people proclaimed Hosanna, and it's recorded for us in verse 9. This is what they're shouting and singing. And you've got to think, I know, you know, we have our, at least me, I I feel a little sheepish. I remember growing up thinking like, I've got to wave this palm branch, and this feels awkward. You have to imagine being at like your favorite sports team's game, or you're cheering on the wild, and you just, you go crazy. That is what it was like. And they're shouting and singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And like so many details in this story, the meaning of Hosanna goes back to the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word. In fact, what we read in the New Testament is just stolen right from the Hebrew. They just took Greek letters and they wrote out the Hebrew sounds. So let me show you what it looks like. Hosanna in the Greek at the top. And then it's just transliterated into the Greek from these two Hebrew words, Hoshi-a-na, that second line. Hoshi-a-na. And literally, as Katie said with the kids, that means save us. Save us now. Save us, please. And it was originally a prayer. And a key example would be Psalm 118, which these Passover pilgrims, remember where this is happening in the timeline, it's Passover, so all these people coming to Jerusalem, and they would have certainly had Psalm 118 in mind. In fact, this psalm was part of their songbook the first couple of days of Passover. So here's the Hosanna in Psalm 118. Psalm 118, starting in verse 25. Lord, save us. And if you're reading the Hebrew Bible, what does it say? Hoshia na. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Doesn't that sound familiar? Psalm 118. From the house of the Lord we bless you, it says, with bows in hand, join in the festal procession. So these folks have Psalm 118 on the mind. Now by the time of the New Testament, the meaning of this word, Hosanna, has shifted from the literal plea for God to save us and it has turned into an exclamation of praise. 
So it will retain that background, and yet it's now just what people shout out because they're pumped up, especially at the prospect of the Messiah. And you think about how this can work as well in our context. So nowadays you might hear on the ball field or the basketball court or somewhere, you know, like a young guy yell at his teammate, let's go, or something like that. Many of you can do it much better than me, but let's go. You don't ask the question in that moment, uh, excuse me, where are you guys going? No, it's celebration. It's to pump each other up. And isn't it fascinating that you have a foreign language word here that we say on Palm Sunday that is in its essence both a prayer for salvation and an expression of praise. You remember where we started? This mix of emotions colliding. Hosanna. All this commotion, all these expectations bearing down on Jerusalem. The text says that when Jesus entered Jerusalem that day, the whole city was stirred, it says in our reading. And really the literal meaning of the word is shaken. So you might say, shaken, not stirred. I probably should have had my wife review the manuscript this morning. (laughs) So the city is shaken, and I've noted this final observation, number four. The people wondered, who is this? You know, everybody at the parade knew this large crowd coming with Jesus, some of them running out from Jerusalem to meet them, the donkey, the cloaks, the palms, the hosannas. But now they're arriving in this big city, and people are wondering, who rides into town on a king's donkey? And sets the place in such a fever pitch. That's a Palm Sunday story. How about we turn some of these things into action items for disciples? Something for you and I to carry into Holy Week. So the main point is all about Jesus. But secondarily, what do we learn about following him? Number one, I'll have these four simple statements to reflect what we've just done. Number one, I see my King and Savior. I see my King and Savior. Remember the first observation? Jesus is the promised Messiah King. Is that what I see here? That's what they saw, but is it what I see? Do I see Jesus not just as a historical figure with a robe and long hair riding on a donkey, but do I see him as my King and my Savior? The lyrics of an old Taylor Swift song caught my attention this week. It's the song 22. And she sings in that song, Yeah, we're happy, free, confused, and lonely at the same time. It's miserable and magical. But I'm feeling 22. Everything will be all right. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm reflecting on that song, Yeah, but Taylor, you're 32 now. Are you still happy, free, confused, and lonely at the same time? Is everything still all right? Number two, I do what Jesus says. Remember the disciples? And now it gets to be us. The disciples listened and followed the master's voice in this part of the story. Jesus gave them instructions, perhaps a bit unusual. It's hard to say if exactly what they expected to go up and untether 
these two animals, but Jesus spoke to them and they just did it. It's Discipleship 101. And I want to encourage you, some of you maybe have had a sense that the Lord is nudging you about something, that he might be speaking to you, prompting you. And if that's you, then I want to encourage you to take courage and to do it. If you have any question about it, of course, we check it against his word. We seek prayer and godly counsel from others who are walking with the Lord. But then it's time. There is no time to be obedient like today. So I see my King and Savior. I do what Jesus says. And then number three, I shout Hosanna praises. I shout Hosanna praises. And I'd really like for you to remember this word Hosanna today and to remember this nuanced two-part prayer. Hosanna as a plea for help and at the same time, a powerful word of praise. You can be shouting Hosanna through tears. You can cheer on another brother or sister in Christ with let's go. A Hosanna to the Lord is maybe exactly what they need right now. So today is a good day for learning a foreign language and putting Hosanna in your vocabulary. Lord, save us. And we praise you. And then finally, number four, I know who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is. That's the lingering last question, isn't it? The people are wondering, who is this? And if you have never answered that question for yourself before, if you've wondered about it but not really made up your mind, if you've had some proximity to Palm Sunday, You've heard that question, but you haven't owned it. Then I want to encourage you to make today the day that you answer, who is this? That you would say, I do know who Jesus is. He's my Savior and my King. He rode into town on Palm Sunday and will gather again on Monday, Thursday, and then Good Friday of this week, remembering that he did this to complete his mission. That he had a task set before him to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins so that you and I could be in this place to receive the fullness of Hosanna life from him. I see my King and Savior I do what Jesus says, I shout Hosanna praises, and I know who Jesus is. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord, we thank you first of all that you did ride into Jerusalem that day, knowing full well what was before you, that you came as king And that you came to endure the cross for us. And I pray, Lord, that this Palm Sunday 2022 would be a significant one for us. That it would not just come and go. That we wouldn't get home later and and the week would just kind of carry away as maybe it feels like it often does. 
But I pray, Lord, that your kingly stamp would be upon this day and that we would recognize it. And that we would just bow in humble submission before you, Lord. Casting off our cloaks. Raising our palm branches. In each one of us, just personally challenged by this question, Lord, to answer who you are to us. Lord, as a church community, we count ourselves among those who will say that you are the promised Messiah King come to save us. And we raise our hallelujahs and our hosannas to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.